Welcome to the 2020-30 podcast. Today we have a very exciting session for you. It is Dr. Luke Haverhals, who was actually holding a community class at our community day of the 2020-30 The Berlin Fashion Summit, which took place about three weeks ago. So, Max, why would you think that Luke was so exciting? Well, I think it, it was just an amazing opportunity to have him I mean, even on two days, he gave a short teaser, let's say, on our conference day on the 18th and a full-on community class on the 19th. So we had like a good 50-plus minutes of his vision of a plastic-free fashion world. And I think everybody who was there got really fascinated and intrigued by his logic and by his um, way of explaining the uh, relationship between natural materials and the potential for our um, production of, of, of consumer goods in general. So, yeah, it's it's just mind-opening and mind-blowing to a certain degree. Dr. Luke Haverhals is actually the CEO of Natural Fiber Welding, a company who is producing replacements for synthetic fibers with natural materials. There's a huge impact his company will have and also his fibers. Yeah, and it's not just like single materials they do. They do the whole ecosystem. So by now they are able to um, help brands to produce a shoe that is completely plastic free and this is really a novum in this market um, and it is completely biodegradable and it is completely harmless in terms of the ingredients so this is really a next step for the whole global textile and fashion industry and we're very lucky to have him and really also if you look into the development i met him i think some five six years ago for the very first time in los angeles at a really small event and now he's the ceo And, and he's the founder of Natural Fiber Welding. Still, he's the CEO and, and uh, a startup that has grown dramatically and has way more than 1,500 brands in the pipeline to work with them to change the industry. So yeah, pure excitement, as you can probably also hear from our voices. And we really, really hope that you're going to have uh, a great time listening to Luke and his vision of a plastic-free fashion world. Beside his great work with natural fiber welding, he's also a very entertaining and inspiring speaker who was just having a speech in front of the CEOs of this world and politicians in Davos. So we are very happy that we had him in our conference and now for you in our podcast. Yeah, we're going to talk about how to get a new system to, to make the materials that people, people need. Uh, I, was, I was a chemist interested in an economics problem. Economics problem that I saw was that there, there's an unbelievable amount of impact, of course, that the petrochemical plastics industry has. When you, when you stop and think about it, there's what? Now I think we've just crossed the milestone of 8 billion people on planet Earth. There's really, when, when you look at economic data, what you, what you see is there's really only about 3 billion or so of us that live in what we call the developed countries of the world that have, you know, that where when you live in a country like that, generally speaking, statistically speaking, you have not just one closet, but several closets full of stuff. You have one car, maybe two, in some cases, three vehicles in the driveway. 
And so, you know, that's especially true, of course, in America. So think about the impact that those of us that are very privileged to live in those kinds of economies, think of the, all of this impact that we're talking about, climate change and plastic pollution and the like, that's only 3 billion of us. There's another 5 billion people. There's a lot of talk. I just came from Davos. There's a lot of talk um, at the World Economic Forum about degrowth. But I'll say that conversation right now doesn't have enough resolution because the truth is there's 5 billion other people on the planet that would love to have an opportunity to live like we do. Right? So in other words, some people actually should get to consume a little bit in this world yet for the first time. Some of us probably don't need to have, you know, an eighth closet full of junk. Um, so we should talk about that. But, all right, so I'm, I'm not a, an economist, though. I'm a chemist in the end. So I was thinking to myself, how could I, with my career, have a positive impact and change on the world? How could I develop technology where people could produce responsibly? If, if you hear nothing else today from me, consider that what, what natural fiber welding is doing. So I'm the founder and the CEO. Of, of a company called Natural Fiber Welding. What we're doing is we've developed technology that now can do a systems level change of how we produce textiles, how we produce things around us, um, changes the equation of how you can enjoy materials and things like that. Um, I'm wearing a t-shirt that's our product and shoes and things, so we can talk about the products later, but a t-shirt that importantly is now beyond 50 washes and there's still no pills. So there, there's a little... I, I nicked myself um, out in the backyard one day working um, and, and hooked it on a nail. So there's a little bit. Anyway, other than that, it's perfectly fine. Right. So um, so longevity and how we use things. We're, we're working on technologies that don't just get you performance so you can wear things that you like and have things on your person that you like or the, the car um, and furniture and other things around you, too, that we're working on. But importantly, too, that you will know the origin of where those things came from. So uh, there's a lot of people in the world today uh, that, so this is, this is infrastructure in the world, more than $100 trillion worth of infrastructure in this world. And uh, it produces JP8 jet fuel, diesel, gasoline, but also importantly, plastics. And the infrastructure problem that I saw as a, as a chemist, as thinking like with like an economics professor was that in order to displace this industry, you need to solve a really hard economics problem, which is you need free infrastructure. Whatever your solution is going to be, your infrastructure has to be free. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but anyway, th this infrastructure delivers something. It's, it's, it's everywhere, right? Trillions of dollars of stuff per year produced with this infrastructure. And so this infrastructure, uh, it has consequences. It serves 3 billion or so of us really well, but not so much the rest of us, and then it has all this impact. So we're going to talk about then a, a, an issue, which is that when you buy something, say, for, uh, that has polyester in it, lots of people are trained to ask lots of questions about, like, where did the cotton come from? And that's, a, that's an important question, and please ask that question. Um, if I say the equivalent, who, you know, and, and I'll say there's, there's a little bit of plastic in these pants too. So I'm, I'm as guilty as the rest of us of using plastics, but have you ever asked yourself, where did that plastic bottle, where did my, my dress or my, my vegan leather 
bag, which is polyurethane? What oil rig, what fracking operation, what infrastructure did it come from? No one knows. No one will tell you. You can read reports that show that a lot of this infrastructure now is sending uh, the crude oil and natural gas to a couple of plants in Southeast Asia that make the vast majority of the world's uh, polyester. And we've, we've been trained to know things about like blood diamonds. Um, and, and so in other words, where things like diamonds come from is supposed to matter. Well, I would say, what about your plastic? We produce 800 billion pounds of plastics per year in this world. No one seems to know where it comes from. Fundamentally, it's an issue. All right, so we're solving that problem um, by delivering performance. We're, um, in a little bit, I'll talk about how we can make nutrient-based materials that do what plastics do for you. Um, but importantly, our company, in addition to having developed technology, can tell you the wholesome good story about where that material come from, where it can go to. Right? So we can have transparency. If we're, we're going to change the world, we need to have traceable, transparent discussions about where things come from and where they go to. That's how you get to talking about the impact and the consequences of where things come from and where they go to. All right, so I, I don't think I even need to say much to this slide other than people, people are trained to know about plastic waste that you can see. I'll say the other thing is that um, when it comes to a circular economy, there are some circular economies that I believe, first of all, um, are hard to imagine they're going to happen. We'll talk about more of this infrastructure issue in a bit. But I'll also say there are some circular economies that some people are proposing right now that I would say, why would we ever want to run that kind of circular economy? Why would you want to run a circular economy on materials that are toxic, fundamentally, that are full of plasticizing agents that are causing uh, tumors and things in women, causing problems with uh, people's pregnancies? Um, materials that, because they're not natural, when little bits break off when you're wearing your clothes, it turns out that you've shed, depending on the kind of garment and the kind of fabric, you can shed more microfiber pollution wearing your clothes than washing your clothes. So um, even if you could spend more than $100 billion and put the right kind of filtration system on a billion wash machines that are already on the planet and actively working, even if you had $100 billion to somehow do that for free for everybody, then um, you're still left with the fact that you're breathing these materials in and these materials have shape. And the toxicity of some materials isn't just the chemistry, it's the shape. So you're, you've probably all heard, maybe everyone's here have heard of asbestos. You're not supposed to breathe in asbestos. But it's not because asbestos chemistry is toxic, it's because of the shape, the shape of the fiber that you're breathing in. And it turns out plastic shapes, because they're from oil, um, they tend to be more needle-like and, and more asbestos-like than, than you would really like them to be, turns out, is what the science is saying. So anyway, th these are all issues where um, we got to think about holistically. What's the holistic solution that we're looking for? We need free infrastructure. We need something that's non-toxic. We need something, importantly, too, that can serve many different purposes. One of the other things about plastics is it's not just like there's one, right? There's many. Think about most things that you enjoy in your life are complex objects made of multiple kinds of materials. Your shoes are a really good example. So you've got at least usually six, sometimes as many as 12 different materials to make a modern shoe possible. And so 
as we'll show in a little bit, this infrastructure that makes plastics, like you see on the, on the right here, not only does that infrastructure use the wrong kind of input, it also, very importantly, it has no idea what to do with your old shoe. It, has no, it only knows how to convert crude oil and natural gas into virgin materials. Hundreds of trillions of dollars of infrastructure only knows how to do that. Do you understand that? This is, an, this is a really hard economics problem. The non-toxic ecosystem of materials that perform, the infrastructure has to basically be free so that more billions of people can enjoy it. And then, by the way, it's got to be more abundant than the fossil fuels industry because, again, the, the, some of the issues we have when you look at conflict, I, maybe I was a better science student than a history student, but the one thing I learned in history is uh, humans tend to like repeat sins of the past. And where do you see conflict in this world? You see conflict in this world when people are fearful and there's scarcity, right? And then, and then we start to dehumanize each other and we stop topic, talking to each other um, in ways that reflect that we're all human beings. Um, and then, anyway, we start sending our weapons of war at each other as a result, right? So scarcity and fear and things um, are also part of this economics equation we have to solve. So that's why we build, that's why our company is building only from plants. So plants are a free infrastructure already deployed around the planet. They, they're solar powered. They sequester carbon from the atmosphere. By the way, while they're sequestering carbon from the atmosphere, if you, if you farm them the right way, plants, then they can sink carbon in soil. In fact, there's way more carbon in soil than the atmosphere. It turns out that the really, truly only economic solution to quickly sequestering carbon in a durable way is, not, is uh, we should plant trees, don't get me wrong, but the durable way to do it, because tree forests can burn down and release. But the durable way to sink carbon is, is through regenerative agriculture. You sink it in the soil in a place where you lock it away where it can't burn. All right, and, and then when you're doing that, by the way, you're promoting healthy food production systems and a whole bunch of other good things as well. So again, if, if people aren't thinking about economics when they're thinking holistically about their solution, they're not going to solve the problem because in order to have a, a solution, you, it, you have to have economic impact. Scale and impact are synonyms. You can't have impact without scale. And you cannot, if you're at scale doing something, you will have an impact. It will be maybe not so good if you don't think holistically about what you're doing. All right? Okay, so plants are this infrastructure I would propose to all of you that, that scales. We can feed ourselves and clothe ourselves and accessorize ourselves with plants. More new plant matter grows in one day on planet Earth than one day. So just today, in the next 24 hours, if you average across, you know, all 365 whatever days out of the year, and think about one 24-hour period, more new plants matter will grow than the combined tonnage of all the synthetic things produced by people in years, one day. So no one's going to starve, by the way, when, you, when we do regenerative agriculture the right way. In fact, we feed most of the world's edible calories these days to cars and, and to the transportation sector. So people aren't starving already because of lack of calories. There's inequities in how we move materials around, who has access to the materials, what we're doing with valuable cropland. I'm not blind to any number of issues that you might be thinking through about food justice and a lot of other things. But my point is, 
the byproducts and the co-products of food, it turns out, are underutilized. There's 150 million tons of rice hulls generated in the world each year. So you could ask yourselves how often, you know, some of us eat rice more often than others, but we'll just note rice is a staple, you know, thing for, for diet in this world. Um, but not everyone eats rice all the time. It's not our only food. We got lots of other kinds of foods we eat too. And just the rice hulls, just the waste from rice is 150 million tons, 300 billion pounds. Some people were telling me about um, the pineapple fiber in Costa Rica um, that they had available to NFW that we could use. And, and we were talking about the fact that, um, well, they had a lot of it. And I was like, tell me how much you have. Um, and it turned, and because we were talking about in the context of our Miram product, which is a plastic-free leather alternative. It's the world's only plastic-free, truly plastic-free leather alternative. So I'd argue the world's first truly vegan if you want to call it that, leather, that's not a synthetic, um, um, that's scalable. And there's like $100 billion or something per year of leather that sells in the world. It sells at a price range between around $2 to $7 per square foot. And if you can't sell your material in that price range, you're not relevant to talking about having an impact on the world. Um, and so, but, but that's quite a bit of leather, right? $100 billion worth. So like how much of the food system might you impact or something if, Luke, with your Miram material. Um, and so people were telling about the, co- the pineapple fiber in Costa Rica. And you could ask yourself, too, one more question real quickly. Hold this in cash with me. So leather industry is pretty big. If you're going to disrupt it with something else, it's going to also be pretty big. So it will have an impact. So you got to think about in advance what those impacts will be. Okay. And if you're going to get the, a lot of the lignocellulosic materials you need for those materials, then where are you going to get it from? Maybe the pineapple fiber in Costa Rica is, is an interesting place to get it. And then you can say, how often does any human being eat pineapple? And how often is that pineapple from Costa Rica? So Costa Rica's, I don't know, is anyone here from Costa Rica? Costa Rica is an important place in this world, it grows a lot of different things, but it's, it's a pretty small, compared to a lot of countries and things, it's a small country. So how much waste pineapple fiber does Costa Rica have? Turns out that if we took, if natural fiber welding only got our lignocellulose from Costa Rica waste pineapple fiber, and we took over 100% of the, of the leather industry, then we might use 8 to 10% of Costa Rica's pineapple fiber. And then we'd need a lot more people to buy, buy these materials too, because there's still the other 90 or 88% of Costa Rica pineapple fiber to use. And then by the way, okay, there's 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 pineapple fiber grown in other parts of the world. There's, there's coconut fiber. There's all the other ingredients. There's cork. There's all the other uh, things that we can use. Okay, so hopefully I've made the, the good point by, on this slide now that nature is so unbelievably abundant. If humans manage land properly, there's, that's a big discussion. But if we manage land properly, which land is infrastructure, and plants are already infrastructure deployed on that, other kind of infrastructure. If we manage our land and our plants, we can have abundance for everybody. It'll be solar powered and sequester carbon dioxide at the same time. All right, so our company is, is uh, scaling something we call ground rules, which is we developed a variety of technologies. It, the, the, the technical answer to this isn't one silver bullet. So the company has a very expansive sort of set of know-how that has to do with how do you use existing infrastructure in the world that makes clothing and bags and shoes. Um, how do you do that in the way where you only use as inputs plants? 
And I'll say I've, I've put a very hard, hard constraint on our company. Um, I'll repeat something I said last night. If, if everything I'm going to tell you next wasn't true, so I just defined the problem for us all. That's just the ec- economic and technical reality. I haven't told you yet quite what the solution is. But um, anyway, if, if everything that I'm going to tell you next wasn't true, then I'd still be in the chemistry lab as a chemistry professor trying to make it true. But importantly, because the technologies work, um, then I decided actually the best thing I could do with my career would be to, and you know, I've got three little girls at home, my wife and I, and if those three little girls are going to live in a world that doesn't have fear and, and certain kinds of um, problems, because uh, anyway, they're, they're three Lily, they were up here, Liliana, Lavinia, and Neville, they would, they would all give you a hug. Um, and yet, Anyway, we all live in countries where even though we want to give, individuals want to give each other hugs, our countries send weapons of war at each other because we're fearful of each other. And it's, it's a resource issue. So we, we should solve that. So I want to give them a better world. I, I put a hard constraint on the, on the company that we would not use toxic things. We would not use scarce things. So therefore, we would only develop technology around plants, things that scale things that you can afford, things that, ideas that when you execute them, you don't declare it the year of the mushroom. You know, it's for the last three years in different publications around the world, I've now read it's been very annoying to me because I'm busy trying to raise capital to scale my company. Um, And other people have been raising money for their companies. And in 2020, 2021, and 2022, it's been declared three years in the world by Vogue, New York Times, and, and that it's the year of the mushroom. Has anyone other than your pizza actually bought something substantial in your wardrobe made from a mushroom? No, but yeah, one person. And did it, and did it from a mushroom? And did it have polyurethane? Uh, we, one person. So, and, and I'll say, and then did you analyze it to see how much polyurethane came with those mushrooms? Okay, so you should look at that. All right, importantly, there's some people, they claim they can make certain things for mushrooms. Uh, Maybe you can. I know you can make great pizza. But um, when you look at the price points and you look how much money is raised and how little product is in market and a whole bunch of things, it makes you think about, is this really going to have an impact? And we need to have an impact, folks. Right? We can't just talk about our nice new startup companies and then some of those startup companies waste hundreds of millions of dollars and never put anything in market. All right? If we're going to have an impact, we've got to scale up to billions of things for billions of people. All right, everything we do is built around technologies that start well, stay clean, and end well. Um, talked you know, to a lot of people last night about what that means, what it means from a biodegradability perspective, and I'll... You know, we can talk later about biodegradability um, isn't such a timeline issue so, so much as it is a don't put toxic crap in the ground or in your compost heap or anything. Don't build toxic crap. We take it for granted that, um, you know, you don't take your average modern shoe, grind it up at the end of its life and scatter it on a farmer's field. Why not? Plastics are toxic. You don't take your waste um, you know, consumer packaging that's plastic, grind it up and scatter it in your garden. Why not? Plastic is toxic. 
All right. So it's not a composting issue. Usually it's a toxicity issue. If, if plastics were somehow just benign, then I don't know, they could be like a filler in the soil, but they're not benign. Right? They come with toxins, and they also tend to leach and sequester certain kinds of toxins. And they come themselves from materials that would be better left in the ground because those materials themselves, deep in the ground, anyway, stay out of the road, but they're toxic. You're not supposed to drink. They shouldn't be in the aquifer in the water that you drink and all kinds of other things. Right? So, all right. We need systems that start well, stay clean, end well. And then I'm happy to report that the rest of this talk can be about the solutions and what's going on in a company that's, that's scaling in a really major way. Um, and what we do is, again, we develop technologies so that we have materials. These materials are now in market. So, again, one of the, the, the key reference points that makes natural fiber welding a completely different company, I would say, than every other company in the world. Um, number one is we're not just a material company, like with one new material. We have a whole ecosystem. allows me to point at my shoes here and say these shoes are completely plastic-free. You can go see the video where you can take the shoe at the end of its life. Um, and we have a very simple system that's already deployed globally um, where you can grind the shoe up and give it back to nature. And it's not toxic. And we've certified it as such. We've sent the materials to various universities and made sure that all the nutrient ingredients that we're sourcing are nutrients. And that nature, just like nature knows what to do with trees, nature can know what to do with those products. Importantly, though, not every company in the world that's using our materials will use, will make their product 100% nutrient-based at the start. So then we have to come up with systems of transparency around which are, the, which are the products you can grind up. And then through time, more and more people will, will adopt the system. So also think through about a company like ours that isn't just a technology-providing company. It's also a traceable, trusted, transparent source of information. Because in the end, when you go to the store, um, you want to buy something or you're online, you want to buy something, someone needs to deliver that transparent, traceable story, right? Go back to today, the, the plastics industry will never, ever deliver you a traceable, transparent story about the origin of the material. Although, again, you can read reports that show lots and lots of Russian oil making the polyester um, production systems powers that be happen. Okay. All right, so we're working with big brands on how to get sustainability as a service. And again, it's, this isn't a um, just, you know, this is kind of uh, jumping off of, everyone's probably heard of software as a service, and investors love to invest in software as a service. But we, most of the people in this room, I'm sure, appreciate that if solving the world's problems were as easy as writing an app, then I guess we wouldn't have any problems. But anyway, we need people who do physical infrastructure thing in smart ways that scale and where humanity has enough money to run it at big scale. Um, and so doing that well um, and delivering what I would say true holistic sustainability. So I know people use the word sustainability all the time, and it's absolutely crazy how some people use that word. Here I needed to meet the acronym of SAAS, which investors understand. Um, but we're going to not talk about software. We're talking about a different kind of hardware software solution that importantly delivers traceable, traceable, holistically good ways 
of origining and making materials, getting them into the products you make. So that requires infrastructure and information structure in order to do all of that well. That's what we do. All right. So it doesn't matter if you care about low-carbon, regenerative, circular systems. It doesn't matter if you're a luxury brand, value, eco-driven brands, um, design-driven brands. You can work with us. Right now, there's literally more than 1,500 brands that are, have reached out to us organically. We don't do any of the Super Bowl ads or th things, you know, that some people to do get that kind of attention. But we, importantly, I think what, it's, what this is reflective of is people want solutions. They just don't know where to get them. So when they actually find out there's a company that is saying that there's a solution, then they come first very skeptically and they say, well... Anyway, we tried to get the mushroom stuff, and it's made of polyurethane, and it doesn't, and it costs too much, and doesn't look like they're ever going to be able to scale it. And I don't know, but do you talk about this Miram stuff. Can you? Can we have some Miram? And we say, well, yeah, you can. And and anyway, we're getting our roll-to-roll -roll production of it online, and and many, many more people that um, can can get it in the very near future. Um, right now. A company like ours, as we're scaling, really, you know, we can only handle maybe like five, six dozen or so of that full pipeline. Um, so here's, here's some examples. So BMW, Ralph Lauren, and Allbirds are um, not just customers, but also um, you could say they're, well, they're investors in the company as well. So there's some companies or some brands that come to us and they, and they legitimately, they want to help so much, they'll literally invest They'll invest in different ways. Um, they'll invest their time, too, in, in teaching us things we need to do to be successful with their products. That's, that's what BMW is doing because we're not in the production car yet, but we're right at the door starting to negotiate those kinds of contracts um, because the materials importantly perform. You know, there's some people that say, oh, we have an automotive partnership. Well, then you find that the material was hidden away in a part of the car on one concept car. You know, it's like when people show their one bag online over and over and over again. They keep talking about the one auto partnership they have over and over and over again. Then you find out they're not actually doing anything. Okay, you have to build full car interiors, chill them to negative 35 degrees Celsius, blow off all the airbags, and make sure that your materials aren't shrapnel if the airbags go off at negative 35 Celsius in order to be relevant in cars. So that's the kind of testing that our company is, is successfully completing right now. Um, lots of brands are coming, and you saw some of them on the previous slide. Lots of the brands are coming because, again, what they want to do is make complex products. The, the important thing to, to realize is you won't change the world with your mono material. You might change the world of, I don't know, how milk jugs happen in the United States or something like that, but um, you need an ecosystem approach to solve a problem like this, not just one material. Um, and importantly, we don't, you know, we don't try to be something we're not, too. Like, companies like Lensing and Spinova and Renewcell are wonderful companies. They're, they're making it possible for our company to have access to new kinds of ingredients. Right? So anyone um, who hears this, you know, don't, don't take me out of context. We're the people assembling complex composites for complex products. That means we want to use cellulose. Anyone who can prove that they've got a raw ingredient that's wholesome and good can run on our platform, all right? So anyway, keep, keep rooting for the, like I said, the Renew Cells and the Spinovas of the world. They're in the world trying to help 
sort and get cellulosic materials back into a system. And then NFW is re-envisioning the whole system so that, and we'll only pick the nutrients to deliver the complex materials and, and archetypes that perform. All right, today's shoes are made with, with these materials that are listed on the right side. And, and importantly, remember, even if you can recycle polyester, and even if you could theoretically recycle polyurethane, you can't put them in the same bucket together and recycle them at the same time. All right? And, and if you have a shoe, and it's got nylon sewing thread and polyester in the upper, and it's got uh, polyurethane in the vegan leather upper, and then it's got a petrochemically cured rubber sole, and it's got an EVA, um, even if it's a biosourced EVA foam, now that shoe is complex. And this infrastructure has no idea what to do with that, and it never will, because there's not enough money in the world to fix this problem, because no one knows how to source enough trillions of dollars at the start to re-envision new infrastructure that would feed that stuff to this beast. See the problem? And then if you did, it would still wreck the carbon footprint of the planet that humans know we not need to stop doing. And then it would still be toxic garbage. It'd still be toxic. So why, why would people even think about doing that? It's not an answer. And I've just made an economics argument and a basic logistics argument of why that's true. So please tell people in media to stop writing about circular economy when it comes to plastic. It will never happen. It's, an, it's a thermodynamic and economic certainty. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. Our children, my, my kids are growing up way faster than I, everyone told, everyone tell you this, like, when you're a kid, like I remember being a kid, I'm just like an older kid. Things are going to go fast, Luke. <laughs> I've, I've heard that, repeat, that trope repeated throughout my life. Things are going fast, folks. 20, 2030, that, right? This, this whole conference, what, why did the organizers choose the name 2030? It's not that far away. Right? I was in Davos this past week and, and uh, early in the week. And they were talking about it's halftime. There's the, the Davos, the UN Goals House. NFW is part of the UN Goals House. And it's halftime. It's a 14-year project that's supposed to be done in uh, 2030. And we're halfway to 2030 from the start of that 14-year project. It's got seven and a half years left or something. Um, and it's halftime. And we're nowhere close to, the, to having achieved all the goals yet. And, and I'll say, economically speaking, I don't see any evidence people are throwing money at the right things a lot of times. We're marketing to ourselves about mushrooms, pretending like that's going to, and we're, and we're telling ourselves plastic bottle recycling stories in fashion, right? I don't know. Seems like we need to do something different. Here's something different. A shoe you can buy today. And, other, and by the way, this is just one design. If this ain't your favorite design... Unless Collective is actually working to um, bring the, the concept that they've developed with natural fiber welding, and how do we open it up to New Balance and, and Deckers and Wolverine Worldwide and some of the other partner companies that I can publicly talk about. Some of the biggest shoe brands in the world work with natural fiber welding because they want this shoe, and, that, and not just a shoe, the way we produced it in supply chain in a way that it's, anyway, it scales and can be affordable and everybody can have it. 
And then I, we can tell you the transparently traceable good stories of where the ingredients to Tenera, the world's first zero plastic, tunable foam, Miram, the world's first zero plastic, tunable leather type alternative, but it can do much more than just be a leather-like material. Claris, a whole line of performance fabrics that can use cellulose from any number of sources, um, but also importantly too, can, can recycle things like wool, silk, cashmere, et cetera, can do recycling of those materials. Um, and Pliant, the world's first zero plastic, zero petrochemical cured, not just natural rubber, all these materials, importantly too, then are recyclable with a, with a simple infrastructure. Two kinds of infrastructure that we already have in this world. Infrastructure that is like grinders, so you can grind the materials up, complex, uh, you can go on our website and you can see this, this product getting ground up. Real simple way. That already exists around in cities around the world. Um, and when you can prove that it's nutrients, you can grind those up. Then you have two options. You want to give this back to nature because you can grind up trees and give it back to nature. Or you want to take some of these materials, especially like the rubber bits, and you can remold, reshape those nutrients right back into new kinds of products, it turns out, with our system. And if our system could produce it the first time cost-effectively by molding and shaping nutrients, then you would imagine if we get nutrients back, we can effectively even cheaper mold and shape it. And again, in ways that solve carbon problems, eliminate toxicity, eliminate waste. That, to me, that's circular economy. But very importantly, um, anyway, that's the kind of circular economy we actually want to run. So again, this, this, this shoe, it, can, it comes from soil and plants come from soil. So it comes from those places, can go back to those places. We also importantly, are, are working on models where we use our own scrap again and, and we also um, can eliminate waste that way. So the, the model's pretty sim simple. We let regenerative farmers and Spinova and companies like that and, and lensing, we're, we're, we're letting those people do what they do and, and, and encouraging them to, um, to grow. There's already, if you look at number three here, there's already people in the world that run textile mills and things. We're not trying to replace the world's textile mills. We're getting our technology to fit within that infrastructure, to not have to rebuild all that infrastructure. That's an important point from a scalability and a cost perspective. And then lots of brands have their complex products they'd like to, to produce, and then we're able to put the sustainable in the front with our model of we work on the sourcing and the pre-processing. We work on the ingredient branding and how really... Again, the traceable, transparent information flow gets to the products that we all want to buy and enjoy and see our children enjoy. Again, there's lots of details in agriculture. Agriculture is a messy, messy topic. I won't go into it all the way, but I'll just say, um, well, I'll, I'll show you some products. If, if you all went to the Stella McCartney webpage today, you could, in the Stella McCartney webpage, search for Miram and find a story about how we're connecting you know, again, cotton isn't a perfect crop, right? Um, and yet, there are some farmers that are doing the right thing, and they're using solar energy in their land in a really well-managed way. Um, and, it's you know, those cotton farmers didn't know how to get their cotton into a leather-like format, such as Stella McCartney, and they didn't know how to meet Stella McCartney. To, to, okay, and Stella McCartney didn't know how to make a leather-like material and get, see how the handshake happens though, when you have natural fiber welding that kind of thing happens. So that's happening with every luxury brand, every car brand, 
every shoe brand, every furniture brand, every fashion brand that cares about this stuff, then they're finding natural fiber welding as the only solution. All right, so the, consider this just like there's a world of nutrients and there's way more of it than we actually need. Lot, wait, again, consider the pineapple fiber story. What we do is we mold and shape it. So our technology is generally speaking, this is a cotton yarn. A cotton yarn is a spun product. It's full of empty space. So when you're sweating in the gym, your, your moisture, the, the sweat goes into that sponge. And that's why you're uncomfortable. This structure, you usually could only get it from polyester or synthetics. But now you can get it with, well, not just cotton. My, my shirt, my performance shirt that's on its, beyond its 50th wash, it's 50% recycled cotton. So mechanically recycled. So that, that, and we can, now we're working on the 100% um, mechanically recycled products that act like they're the most durable Supima that you could ever imagine. And then they wick moisture and all this, all at the same time. So in other words, driven, we're getting driven into market by performance. Okay, and, it's, and it's, we're not having to change the chemistry. That's like the main point I guess I want to leave you with here is we don't have to change the chemistry because we just have to change the format. What's the superpower of plastic? Plastics, you can mold them and shape them into about anything. That's why we use them. We had free infrastructure and waste from the energy industry, and we figured out we could, the world's chemists got busy figuring out what is what we do with this waste. Well, if we could mold it and shape it into about anything, then you can use it in about anything. All right, so take that paradigm, flip it on its head. There's already way more nutrients than we could eat, way more nutrient. That, and by the way, we have so many nutrients, we can rewild places and, and then take a walk through the nutrients um, and enjoy it visually. We don't have to be cutting everything down because we got so much of this stuff. We can rewild places and still get what we need to live better all at the same time. Just need to mold it and shape it. All right, Miram, again, world's first scalable. When I say scalable, you can buy it today. You can analyze it. We'll tell you what's in it. Natural rubber, veggie oil, citric acid, lignocellulose of various sorts, cellulose, minerals. For the, the, the black color here comes from coconut char. So you can get your pigment, pigments from nature. And they're structural. They don't break, they don't break down um, in the sunlight. All right, so we're, we're bringing this out, roll-to-roll -roll production equipment. Um, literally left Germany uh, about a month ago and is getting installed in Peoria, Illinois, and then we're ready to copy and paste around the world. Claris is the world. Again, it's a, a, think of it, just think performance fabrics, and, and then you can think about performance fabrics, but again, no synthetics. And so you can buy shirts and, and very soon, well, you can also buy shoes that use recycled cotton in the upper of the shoe. You think re recycled cotton's not very durable usually. How do you do, anyway. You can mold it and shape it. You can make uh, waste cotton so durable that it acts like polyester upper of a shoe, but it's natural and recycled. Pliant is, again, think of this as molding. This is profound for the footwear industry. It's profound for the tire industry. Tuneras of foam. These, these systems, by the way, the way we make these materials, it runs on infrastructure that's common. And so that's why we've been able to, with such a small amount of money relative to some of the other startups, what they raise, 
we've been able to, to do this system very capital efficiently. And now we're at this, this amazing point where we're going to decarbonize, detoxify, and delinearize the world, the world supply chain. And we're going to organize the information within the world supply chain such that your fine brands, if you represent a brand and you're here today, your brands, for example, can get that transparent information, not just materials from NFW. Um, I'm going, this is not me bragging. Um, I just want to say something. Like, again, th this is a significant moment in human history. The, the, so, who's heard of CRISPR gene editing? Okay. Who's heard of COVID and COVID vaccines? Okay, everybody. Um, so, comp some folks who developed uh, gene editing like CRISPR technology, and, and then la uh, two years ago, in 2021, um, some people developed technologies that allowed us to have vaccines for COVID, um, and they got named Inventor of the Year. This last year, Natural it, myself and the CTO, they had to put a human being on the stage, but, but I'll say it, it goes to our company. Our company was basically named uh, 2022 Inventor of the Year. So again, this is, this is supposed to... Uh, show you like something credit like something important's happening right now with this time in history and that in a, a, a world where information can be shared the right the right ways and certain kinds of technology and chemistry things had to happen but now i can stand here in front of you and say something really important's happening um and it's one company i don't know 30 40 years ago some people were saying you know we, the chemistry is right we can make computer chips smaller and smaller and smaller and it's going to do amazing things because, you know, these, these little boxes that we have, um, they're really primitive. And today they tell you things like what's the square root of 386 um, to like eight decimal digits. But, but in the future, this rectangle will let you buy things. And, okay, that, that's the kind of moment we're in from a supply chain perspective with as natural fiber welding now scales. So there's companies in the world we all know about that, 30, 40 years ago, not everyone knew about them, but there were some people talking. There's a few people that knew. Anyway, I'll just say, mark, mark this as something significant. Um, lots of products in market. So I'll show you a few of the products now. Um, again, polo shirts that perform, that are made with recycled cotton in market with Ralph Lauren. Shoes, Allbirds. You can get your plant pacers. Um, Richemont has been a wonderful partner to NFW. IWC has engineered watch straps with Miram. And there's many, many other luxury brands. Don't have time to talk about the different products in market. Again, um, products in market. Camper is a brand that, anyway, launched shoes. Now they're launching boots. Bellroy is a brand that brings, uh, you know, travel gear, the things you bring into the world with you. So there's brands that are in market. An important distinction point, again, between a lot of companies is, when you find a material science company that actually is willing to sell their product so that you can analyze it and see what it's really made of and, and, and really ask a lot of questions about where did it really come from, how does it really perform, a lot of people like to stay in the blue sky of potential because the moment that they make that wallet for you out of some, you know, unicorn material then you, and you find it really didn't change your life that much, you just get on with your day, then all of a sudden they have a harder time still trying to raise hundreds of millions of more dollars from investors that are suckers for, for those kinds of stories. 
Um, partnerships. If you want to understand why this is significant, car companies are um, importantly thinking about how does Miram not just like how do we do a partnership and pretend that we made a, a story in Vogue or something about that, but like, no, how do we build cars? How do we build the whole interior, blow off all the airbags and make sure it all works? So we're, we're passing those tests. Consumer electronics, you know, there's a lot of things that um, we should, you know, talk about the silicon and the software does something, but there's these materials around it that are part of the experience. And we don't actually use the cell phone case very long before the next model. So how do you run that on circular economy? So we have significant contracting in place with, anyway, giant consumer electronics brands that everyone knows about. Um, recycling all forms of natural materials. So again, you know, people have various um, viewpoints on animals and how, how we use and, and, and sadly people often abuse. But I'll just say no one can argue, I don't think, with the fact that if you've already got a, a really great protein type fiber and you can recycle it and get more performance out of it the second time than you could get out of the first time, then why not? Like, the material exists. It's a waste to not use it. Um, so huge luxury brands interested in that. Um, we're developing a, a network of partners. Um, one of our partners uh, is Vision. I'll highlight. Can't highlight all of our supply chain partners. Vision. Um, they make bags for about 200 or so different uh, brands in the world. So you know, how does NFW deal with this giant pipeline of all the brands? One one of the strategies is work with really big brands who can teach investors why our company should raise crap tons of money and go change the world. But another really important one is there's a whole bunch of regular people that have brands and have a dream and they go to Vision and, and companies like Vision to get the bag actually made. And Vision is in the world, by the way, doing an amazing job treating their people really well while they make that bag and caring about the human side to, to the supply chain, which I care about too. So um, anyway, when, when a company like Vision gets a whole bunch of Miram materials they, um, to, to do trials and testing, they don't build full car interiors, but they build every kind of bag. Every, so there's a, there's a white label catalog that Vision has created. All kinds of products that you can make with, in this case, mostly Miram, but you can use Claris and, and other things too, through, especially through time as we scale. Um, and, and then you don't have to necessarily figure out exactly how to only handshake with Luke and F NFW. You can go to Vision, who already knows how to make things, who's, get, who's doing it the right way, taking care of people and working and partnered with NFW to take care of people on the planet at the same time. All right, so, and these things are possible because we can make millions of square feet of materials, not some little swatch that someone's going to take a picture of and pretend that they did something and then talk about it for the next three years while they raise hundreds of millions of more dollars to market some more to you. Anyway, this needs to be real. I think maybe I've like driven that, that point to home. So, okay, um, natural fiber welding, working to reimagine the world supply chain, organize the information within that supply chain, deliver technologies in smart, scalable, impactful ways so that um, whether you're consuming and using the materials yourself or whether you're designing them because you've got a great idea that you want to get into the world um, to others 
or maybe you're a technology person here that wants to, is looking for a job um, and wants to work for a great company that's changing the world. I don't know, there's various people in this audience, I realize, but I hope, if nothing else, you'll remember that impact and scale are possible. They're possible in natural, low-carbon, non-toxic, efficient, circular ways. Um, and so be on the lookout for more of this in the future. Thanks for your time. This was really nice and inspiring what Luke uh, told us, I think. And he's also such a nice and great speaker. I mean, I'm always very happy to listen to him. Yeah, and he's so approachable. I mean, look after his speech. He, he I mean, on both days, he's been present on, on the ground at 202030 um, all the time. There was always people around him. Everybody wanted to talk with him and get advice or just uh, pitch something or exchange ideas. And, and yeah, and he takes time for everybody. So he's so passionate, even though he must be one of the most busiest men in the industry at the moment. Probably. And I mean, also imagine a plastic free world. I mean, we hardly can imagine. And this is what I really like that he's kind of a radical thinker and also with a radical approach to his own companies. Because I mean, this is like kind of the right solution. I mean, we all know that, I mean, also recycling is a good bridge. Uh, and also like other um, techniques are also better than like the virgin fibers or like the virgin uh, synthetic fibers but anyway i mean in the end we really need to come to that point that we understand that we actually thrive for a plastic free world yeah i mean as luke says himself so often like plastic isn't the evil evil so we can probably still use for many many years plastic in certain situations where they really have a specific kind of special use case but not in the mainstream not where we can't make sure that it's going to be recycled in the proper way etc there we must go for materials that are harmless to our environments our natural environments and yes and he giving he's not just giving us the vision he's also leading us on the way or at least showing one of the ways there and he's also stays open eh? he's very open to collaboration so yes we're extremely happy to have him and to work more with him obviously so I'm also looking really so much forward to have him again and to see what we can do all together with his materials and his ideas. And after Luke, I'm also looking very much forward to our next session and we have another great speaker on board, of course. Please stay tuned and follow us on our socials at 202030summit on Instagram, for example. And also don't forget to check our show notes where we included all relevant links. And in the upcoming sessions, heading towards our next conference in summer, you would be able to listen to most of the sessions we had on stage in January. Mm -hmm.